On this eve of the national holiday of Thanksgiving, uh, our text before us is taken from Psalm 37, verse 25, a psalm of King David. I have been young and, am, and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would strengthen us in our faith through them. Amen. May be seated. <clears throat> when I was young, the expression to be middle-aged typically meant somebody who was maybe late 30s up to about age 55. They claim today that that expression is being used for people all the way up to age 70. So DeGarmo is still young, just letting you know. <laughs> We live in a culture, however, that is fascinated by being young. Youth culture is what's always in. If you think about how the media presents things and stuff, too, 
youthfulness is kind of something to be desired. There's a premium placed on, on uh, looking and appearing and, and feeling young. That's not how it is in many cultures, however. Uh, many cultures actually uh, look at getting older as the better stage of life. In Jewish culture, the elderly were treated with a, a very high degree of respect, and uh, likewise still are today. The book of Leviticus says this, You shall rise before the gray-headed. You can stay seated, I'm just letting you know. <laughs> you shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. And the Hebrew word for elder, which is uh, zachain, is a word that is also used sometimes interchangeably with the, a stage of wisdom in life. And uh, that idea and that concept carried over into the New Testament as well. Uh, pastors were to be appointed in congregations who were referred to as elders. And they weren't always old. Sometimes even like Timothy were probably rather young, as Paul refers to him. So this concept of being an elder carried with it an idea of wisdom. And reflection is part of the... Part of the reason for this is a person gets older, one of the few advantages of growing older is experience, is being able to look back in life and reflect upon things. And you're able to sort of sort through things from a, a position of, of observation over many, many years. And you can start to draw some conclusions from a position, hopefully, of having gained some knowledge in what we sometimes call the school of hard knocks or just uh, life in general. And so David here is nearing the end of his life. We're told that he reigned for 40 years on the throne, uh, starting at age 30, and so he was probably near 70 when he passed away. And in parts of this psalm, 37, we just have the one verse in front of us, in parts of this psalm, it almost sounds like Proverbs, where someone with, with wisdom, like his son Solomon will do in the book of Proverbs, uh, begins reflecting on different things. And he's drawing upon his lifelong observations of God's faithful, uh, the, the, the people among God's people that, that, uh, were, that cared about the things of God. And he simply acknowledges a truth that he has come across by watching this in his life. And this is what he says again, I have been young and am now old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging for bread. It's an interesting observation. We're coming up on uh, Thanksgiving this week. Probably most of us will gather with someone that we love to, to uh, celebrate all the blessings we have in this life. I have a few years yet before I hit the age of 70, if the Lord allows me to go that long. But I have to admit, I can't think of anyone that I know who seems, at least by my observation, to take the things of God seriously and cares about his word and so on. I can't think of a single person I've known in my life that I've seen their kids begging for bread or where they appear to have been completely abandoned. I bet if we went around and asked each one of us individually, we couldn't think of anybody too, just like David's observation. Now David isn't saying it couldn't happen. David isn't saying here that, that God couldn't possibly let someone be in that situation, but if it does happen, it's, it's, it's extremely rare. And he's never observed it in his whole life, and I can say I haven't either. 
He's making an observation here about the general providence of God uh, regarding the earthly things and blessings that we have here in this life and just taking care of the daily needs of his saints, of those whom, whom he has implanted in them the, the gift of faith to trust in their Savior and, and cherish the forgiveness of their sins and the hope of heaven that they have. Um, in that group, in his holy Christian church in the world, um, David is observing that he's never seen one of them having to beg for bread. And it's especially true for us here in this land that we live in, here in the United States. Uh, God, God not just gives us what we need in life, but he really showers down his blessings upon us. And it's easy to kind of take that for granted. I know it is in my life. And, you know, it'd be interesting to go around and interview people in here and find out if, 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 there's, if there's even a single one of us who's ever had to miss a meal where it wasn't for a medical procedure or that we didn't do it intentionally on purpose because we wanted to lose weight or something. There was a comedian that said a few years ago, isn't it, li isn't it wonderful to live in a country where the biggest problem for our poorest people is obesity? <laughs> uh, we just are so blessed in this land. Uh, God just continues to shower down his blessing upon us so much, just in the realm of food. And that's what David's discussing here, but uh, all the earthly blessings that we have in this life. Last week, I had to go in and get my blood tested, and to, in order to do that, I had to fast for 12 hours. 12 hours, people! I had to, I had to miss breakfast that morning. Isn't it amazing how, how, uh, how we're, we're just so blessed that, we, uh, that, that little tiny things like that can suddenly shock us that we have to go without food for 12 hours. Maybe missing just one meal, how challenging that could be. No other country eats out, goes to restaurants as much as Americans. And at the same time, we are the most wasteful people on this planet. It's estimated that roughly 40% of all food in the United States gets thrown away, gets wasted. Wasted food is the number one item taking up space in U.S. landfills. Just think of that. <laughs> it's just, it's just um, unbelievable. And the trouble is, because we're so blessed, we can just kind of get used to all of these earthly blessings, too. And we start to take them for granted. I know I sure do. I remember one time years ago when I was living in Florida, I was standing in a grocery line, and uh, there were about four or five people, and the guy right in front of me had a Gucci uh, keychain, and he had keys to a very expensive car. And uh, I could see that dangling in his hand. And I happened to look behind me, and the man right behind me was using food stamps to buy his food. And I thought, here I am, right between these two men, economically too, is where I would stand between both of them. And the temptation for me is to wish I had what's in the guy's hand in front of me, rather than being grateful for how much more I have than the man standing behind me. Our sinful hearts always gravitate toward wishing and thinking and coveting and wanting more rather than just stopping and taking time to realize how extremely blessed we already are and how wealthy we are. 
When I was serving at church down in Florida, one of my members one day, who was a wealthy farmer, uh, would hire a lot of migrant workers. And uh, one day he called me up and he said, I need you to help me deliver something. And we, I went to his house, we took his old television, it was about 20 years old, and uh, with a big old type with tubes and everything, put it in the back of his truck and we drove it out to this little trailer where there was a family living there with about four or five kids. And we brought it to them as a gift, his old TV, and you would think that they just won millions of dollars by the way they responded. They didn't have one before. And I thought, think of these people that come from other countries, scratching and crawling and sometimes uh, putting themselves in harm's way to get here and live in this land. And the things that we would normally almost throw away are still tremendous gifts to them. The blessings that we have are just amazing. When we reflect in the catechism, uh, when Luther says that God richly and daily provides us with all the things that he lists off, richly, yes, he does, richly here in this land. Now, God would have us reflect on all of this through the cross, through the, the window, if you will, of what our Lord Jesus has done for us by shedding his blood for us. I want to read this passage to you one more time again from David. He says, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, interesting Hebrew word, nor his descendants begging for bread. When I hear that word forsaken, it means to be completely left behind and abandoned and forgotten. The place I think about where the word forsaken really shows up prominently is our Lord on the cross when he's suffering the guilt of all of our sins and taking the wrath of God for all of our covetousness and materialism and greed and unthankfulness and everything else, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So rather than forsaking you and me, God decided to forsake his own son to atone for all of the even ingratitude that goes on in our hearts. And by that abandonment of his son, he now declares all of us forgiven and free of, his, of, of guilt and free of his wrath and gives us the promise of everlasting life in heaven. So God has not only showered you with blessings in this life, but in addition has blessings waiting for you in heaven that are just beyond measure. What a gracious God we have. Oh, give thanks unto him and praise his name. Please take out your hymn book, if you would, and for our prayer today, turn in the front to page 32 in the front portion of your hymn book, page 32, and please rise, and there you will find the first article of the Creed and Dr. Luther's explanation, and as we go through this, I encourage you to put it into a prayer form in your own heart as well. So the first article we say together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And what does this mean? I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still preserves them that he richly and daily provides me with food and clothing, home and family, property and goods, and all that I need to support this body and life.
that he protects me from all danger, guards and keeps me from all evil, and all this purely out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. For all which I am in duty bound to thank and praise, to serve and obey him, this is most certainly true. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go now in his peace. Amen.